0: Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Right Way podcast program. I'm your host, Samuel Elliott. Today, I have the immense good fortune of speaking to the festival director of the Sydney Writers Festival, upcoming Sydney Writers Festival, which is gonna be occurring of course, on the 26th, Monday the 26th of April through to Sunday the 2nd of May, so not all that far away. This year's theme is gonna be within reach, and rest assured, We will be discussing that in detail, but I also wanted to talk to Michael Williams, given that it is his first uh, time to the rodeo in that regard with being the Artistic Director for the Sydney Writers Festival. So we're going to be discussing that. And yes, then we'll be going into the details about the festival theme within Reach and then we'll also be kind of talking about a little bit of the festival highlights that you can also experience as well. Um, It's obviously a very, very interesting time for the Sydney Writers' Festival, given the uh, scourge that is the COVID-19 and obviously all the lockdowns uh, that had arose from that, forcing last year's to be cancelled for the first time, I believe, in its history. So, yes, without further ado, if you could all be so good as to give a big digital round of applause to Sydney Writers Festival Artistic Director, Michael Williams, discussing with me this year's Sydney Writers Festival, which is Fiend Within Reach. Michael Williams, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast program. How are you today?
1: I am very well. We are um, a week since we launched Uh, it's you and I are chatting on a Friday afternoon we launched last Thursday and um, anyone who uh, is involved in any creative endeavour but definitely a kind of public event or a festival will tell you that it's a very weird kind of adrenaline rush journey from the moment when you let your baby out into the world uh, for the days after that so it's, um, it's been a big week but feeling very happy at this point.
0: Beautiful. Can you tell me a little bit about your your room that I'm looking back there at the post-it notes? What is it that I'm seeing there? What is that?
1: So this is a, it's a very funny thing. This is my office uh, at the Sydney Writers Festival offices in the New South Wales Arts Exchange building, which is in the Rocks. And I started in the job at the start of September last year. Um, but did so from uh, my home in Melbourne, where I lived. And I was still, I was six months into what was eventually going to be a nine month lockdown. Um, And so for the first part of doing this job, the only time I saw my colleagues was when they came into this empty office and Zoomed with me as I'm Zooming with you now. So I got very acquainted with this particular view long before I got to sit in the room and make it my own. Um, And what happens over those months in the lead up to a festival is that the kind of, I don't know how clearly you can see it, but there are kind of white sheets up there with a grid on it and there are venues and there are time slots and then bit by bit each of those uh, spots on the grid is filled with a coloured sticky note that denotes the thing that will one day become an event. So catching catching a view of it in this week of all weeks, what you get to see is a kind of, graphical interpretation of what we've been putting together and what we're delivering between the 26th of April and the 2nd of May. The fruits of your labour finally realised. Yeah, it's look, it definitely it's not a representation of the inside of my brain because <laughs> it would never be that ordered or that much of a grid and the colour coding would be, frankly, a nightmare. Um, but it does, it is a story of months and weeks of work uh, from my extraordinary team here, which is a nice thing. Beautiful.
0: Well, let's talk about it because you touched on it and I did want to kind of delve into that before we delve into the festival itself. So you were appointed, you started around September time last year. You're in Melbourne, obviously, locked down during that period. So... How did that go about, Michael? Because you started off—you uh, were formerly the festival, you were formerly the director of the Wheeler Centre, and now you've you've gone to the artistic director for the Sydney Writers' Festival. You couldn't have come at a more tumultuous, unprecedented, and trying time. So, tell me a little bit about your experience and how and how you went about with that, because that would have been—it you
1: know, is the tumult that brought me here. It has to be said, <laughs> I'm not here despite the strange times we're in. I'm more or less here because of them. I have. I've worked in books my whole career. I I mean I've always been a book nerd Um, and one way or the other it was always going to be books and kind of out of uni I worked at text publishing in Melbourne for many years Um, and as part of that kind of publishing apprenticeship one year probably 20 years ago now work flew me up to attend Sydney Writers Festival to look after our authors in particular Kate Grenville was up here talking about The Secret River and so I got to attend my first ever Sydney Writers Festival, and honestly, it was nirvana, like it was the absolute it you know i I imagine you're like me and have memories of kind of book week at school when you're a kid or you know getting the scholastic newsletter or those moments where, as a book lover, it was the main event, and it was you know it it was a party for people who loved books, coming to my first Sydney Writers Festival twenty years ago, I looked around and I thought, this is the pinnacle of um, one of the things I think about a lot, and I've been thinking about particularly in the context of kind of post COVID is that the role of a writer's festival is to move literature and our love of literature from being a solitary idea to a communal idea. You know, the the writers write in isolation, they do it on their own away from everyone else. Um, And then as readers, we discover the writers we love in a very intimate way. It's very personal. Um, and it's a kind of one on one thing. And what something like a writers festival does is say, yeah, but you the writer and you the reader are not alone. You're all part of this kind of bigger endeavor. And, and that's so thrilling, so thrilling to be in a room with other people who love books, so willing to so thrilling to bounce ideas off them. That's kind of the main event. And it's great to, to be doing that. And so. That was a kind of through line with all the jobs I took. That was something that I was really passionate about. My, um, my boss at Text, Michael Hayward, who's still the publisher there, amazing publisher, um, I remember one day in a staff meeting, he said, look, the way I see it, publishing in its purest form is about connecting an idea or an imaginative moment with its natural audience. And that's what we all do, whether you're designing the book cover or editing it or the publicist or wherever you are in the kind of publishing food chain, you know, hosting a podcast about books, your entire pursuit is connecting that idea or that imaginative moment with its natural audience. And that's been a real kind of, for lack of a less pompous way of putting it, a a real guiding light for me in what I've done. the Wheeler Center was amazing. I was involved in setting it up. I adored it. It was an incredible job. But I was there for 12 years. And so at the start of last year, I thought, look, that's enough. It's time to time to let someone else take the reins. I'm going to I'm going to step away while I still love it. I'm going to travel. I'm going to catch up with a friend in Havana and go to New York. And these are all the things I'm going to do. My end date for work is the end of March. And I was very excited about that. And of course, by the second week of March, I was locked down in my house, and all those dreams of travel and uh, and kind of indulgence after twelve big years of work uh, fell by the wayside. Then, come kind of mid-year, the artistic director of Sydney Writers Festival, Michaela McGuire, mm-hmm. um, announced that she was moving back to her home in Melbourne to take over the reins of the Melbourne Writers Festival, um, and the CEO here, Chrissy Sharp, who's one of this country's finest cultural leaders. Um, she was my boss back when the Wheeler Centre started, before I became the boss, she was the first director. I was her head of programming. Um, and she rang me up and she said, look, we have a particular challenge this year. Like we have to hire for an artistic director, but we don't know what's possible. We don't know what a festival will look like And this. They had just come off the devastating uh, period of having to having built a beautiful festival last year and having to cancel it literally two days after it went on sale. Um and so as you can imagine, in mid-year last year, the idea of planning for another festival was a bit traumatic, <laughs> frankly. And it, and it was just it was hard to conceive of what it was. And so Chrissy said, Listen, will you come in as interim artistic director and help us reimagine what it might be in this one very special, very particular year? Um, and you know like all good heist movies, when the gang leader rings you up and says, I need a driver, you know, you you throw down what you're doing and you say, I'm there, and and I did. So where did the, because you're, you're obviously
0: talking about, yeah, a very, very unprecedented, uh, largely kind of dark and foreboding time within not just uh, the Australian literary community's history but humanities history in general... When then did the idea for when you stepped aboard uh, did the theme for this year within reach? Where did that where did that arise? When did that when did that come about?
1: It's funny. One of the great luxuries this year, and it didn't feel like a luxury at the time. It felt like an incredible pressure and stress. But was before we even knew who we wanted and how we wanted to frame it, we started to build an idea of the kind of things that we wanted to talk about, what it was about. Um, As you say, like COVID has been devastating for so many people, both um, in terms of their livelihood and their profession, in terms of health, in terms of uh, the ways in which it separated families and constrained lives. It has been an utterly devastating thing. But if I can be a little glass half full for a second, um, in these kind of capitalist neoliberal times when (laughs) Endless forward momentum and growth is the mantra. You know, you don't stop and take stock. You just, you know, what are we doing this quarter? How do we build on that? How do we bigger, bigger, bigger all the time? There is something a little beguiling about the fact that we were all forced to just freeze for a second, just stop and slow down and take stock. And for a cultural organisation, I think it represented this amazing opportunity to, instead of just doing the things that you always do, because that's how you always do them, every cultural organisation, many of us struggling for our very existence, had to stop and say, what are we for? Who are we for? How does it work? How do we make sure we serve artists and audiences alike? How do we have meaning and substance and value at a time when those things are, are being measured in very different ways. And, you know, in a perfect world, we'd all ask ourselves questions like that every single time we we do something. In a COVID world, it wasn't just an opportunity to do that, it was an imperative. So it, it meant that for us, we went back to first principles. What's a writer's festival for? Why does it have value? Um, and while within reach as a theme came a bit later, what was clear to me and other members of the team very early on was questions of distance and closeness were going to be at the heart of what we would come together to discuss that we'd had this year where we'd all been told to keep our distance um, where it was the kind of mantra where not just physical distancing but um, social distancing cultural distancing you know we were all suddenly we'd worried for years that we only spoke to people in our bubbles all of a sudden the idea of the bubble was manifest and we were all even more parochial even more inward looking even more closed off and it seems to me it seemed to me then it seems to me now that one of the great tools for overcoming distance one of the great machines for killing distance is the book that's why we read it brings closer to us ideas experiences worldviews, um entire worlds that uh, are normally denied us in our day-to-day life so within reach was in part a celebration of literature it was in part that idea that literature brings closer to us these things that are denied us at the moment the second part of within reach was about physically coming back together Our goal, we worked out really early on that we thought one of the priorities for us at Sydney Writers Festival was the physical event. There were lots of examples last year of some terrific digital programming that people did when they could no longer gather in a room. Um, Lots of organisations trumpeted the pivot to digital. You know, here we are running a digital festival, a digital event. Um, Those things had enormous value, but I would argue they weren't events. And they weren't festivals; they were bits of broadcasting. Um, you know, they were—they weren't. For me, the crucial thing about a festival is back to that idea of the communal after the solitary. It's about coming together. It's as much about the conversations you have in the queue for coffee or the toilet, as it is about the thing that you see on a stage. It's about sharing a space, sharing a conceptual space with a whole lot of other people. And try as they might, to my mind, none of the digital solutions quite capture that lightning in a bottle thing that the best live festivals do. So we decided quite early on that subject to New South Wales health advice, subject to wherever the pandemic was and whatever was happening, we would try to make a physical festival, try to make the idea of being within reach of one another, a kind of key goal for us. And what, whatever that looked like and the sliding scale of possibilities, that was a kind of priority. And then the third bit of within reach is about something which is a kind of obvious distinction between this year's festival and previous years, but wasn't immediately obvious how we're gonna deal with it. And it's the what the closure of international borders means for a festival that's prided itself on being an international event for so many years. You know, the we all do it. I know I do it. I look back over festivals in years gone past and rattle through a list of who the international guests were, that that's something sticky, That we that's the scarcity, that's the opportunity. Oh my God, I get to see Max Porter or Jennifer Egan or whoever the writer is, Bernadine Everesto. that's the rush, is here is someone who I wouldn't normally have access to and they're here. Um, But I think that does a disservice to local writers to think about a festival in in those terms. And so once we decided we were focused on the physical, we were like, okay, well, we don't want to do a weird hybrid, you know, and and look, many festivals, many of my peers and colleagues at other uh, writers' festivals, both around Australia and elsewhere, have opted for a hybrid model and they've done it beautifully and they've created amazing events where they have live events but with people on screens piped in from elsewhere. We more or less decided that wasn't for us, that that might form a component of the program, but it would be a kind of icing on the cake rather than the cake itself. That if we couldn't build a program around the people who are physically present in the room, then we need to get out of show business because the writers who are available to us, the talent that is right here in Australia Once again, if I can be one of those people who repeats their own tagline endlessly, the talent that was within reach was the point of the exercise, celebrating those local voices. And so those three facets, sorry, this is the longest answer in the world, but those three facets all kind of fed in together. And that was when we knew that within reach was where we wanted to work.
0: It was a long answer, but a good answer. And you didn't rehash anything that you were saying there, Michael. I mean, like... I do. I'm totally in agreement with you in terms of the the physical. The being there in a room is something that's, um it's ineffable, but it's it's just so potent. Uh, being there uh, in the physical presence of people, and also I'm too, and certainly again, what you mentioned, I'm guilty of it as well. Like, uh, can be quick to to judge or eagle eye within a festival's lineup and see who's the international talent. So, therein on you was going to be the the rubble the the plight in which you might face as well i wanted to know also because you surmised that so beautifully there's not too much i can possibly expand on but there was something that's been in a couple of your mission statements that i've seen around and i wanted to it's it's it's, it's an opening line that you've mentioned and i'm paraphrasing a bit but that you've this festival is underpinned by a sense of hope and i wanted to touch on that because that therein stems the, this modicum or this ideal of hope is what obviously expands on this grand scale that you've now realized. I wanted you to talk about that a little bit, if you could. This hope, the sense of hope in these dark, sort of unrelentingly, seemingly bleak and unprecedented times, where this hope has stemmed from, because there's a couple of things I want to segue into after that.
1: It's, look, I, for me, it's a little bit about, and I suspect you're the same, it's a little bit about why we read, about why we let smart, imaginative, empathetic people into our heads uh, through the the books, the articles, the poems, whatever it is that they write. Um, And it's, you know, these are dark, bleak, hard times for lots of people. There is lots that we don't have right. We are not in a utopia. We are not achieving the things that we want to achieve. But it seems to me that it's through words and through smart, carefully chosen, powerful words that we might get a little closer. Within Reach is bittersweet because it identifies that we're not quite there. We haven't quite got to it. Um, one of the things I thought about, and this is kind of an anti-hope message, but bear with me, is, you know, the festival happens at Carriage Works. It happens in Redfern. One of our guests in this year's program is Don Watson, whose Redfern address some uh, 30 something years ago now was this kind of amazing clarion call for a different um, understanding of Australian history, for a different way, a path to reconciliation. And no one who was present for that speech, no one who's had a chance to read it, who's had a chance to watch the footage of Keating delivering it, uh, could be in any doubt hearing that that the the possibility of a better way, the possibility of reconciliation was within reach. Here we are 30 something, years on, and if anything, the situation is worse and it's moved backwards. There are ways in which nice words can, can fool us into thinking stuff is possible that it's not. But if we're going to have a week long festival of talk of people offering opinions on the state of the world, offering opinions on all manner of subjects, What I want is experts. I want smart, passionate, entertaining people. So if we're talking about climate change, if we're talking about a COVID vaccine, if we're talking about reconciliation or whatever the theme might be, um, that seems to me to be an intrinsically hopeful act to come in a room, put aside our various kind of tribal loyalties, our various culture wars kind of prejudices and going genuinely open to one another, genuinely open to hear these ideas. That seems to me to be an intrinsically hopeful act.
0: Does that tie in, just, just following on from that, because it's interesting that you have mentioned that, and there's another passage that I've also seen um, that, you've, that you've worded there as well, saying, again, I'm paraphrasing, but it's words to the effect of we're not going to consign any conversations that are going to be delivered here to the too difficult pile or the too hard pile. And I think that does kind of harken back to what you've just said there because, and I wanted to know where this marrying of this, this sense of hope with the conversations refusing to consign it into the too hard pile, where the two marry, because you've kind of touched on it, but I was hoping that you could kind of delve into a little bit more.
1: Look, where I don't feel hope on an almost daily basis is the level of public discourse, mm. you know, whether it's mainstream media or social media, Um, whether it's our political leaders or um, our business leaders or whatever they are, the way we talk to each other, the way we agree and disagree is fundamentally deeply broken. You know, there are so many really important conversations that we just don't progress in meaningful ways (coughs) because everyone is stuck in their camps. Everyone is Mm. stuck in their kind of um, posturing. They're too scared to kind of... um, Too scared to conceive when they don't know something, you know, like uh, this really is a space that I think is depressing to me. And so one of the responsibilities, it seems to me, of a not for profit cultural organisation devoted to talk is to find better ways to do it, you know, to find, and so that doesn't mean avoiding the difficult conversation where there might be disagreement. It means one of our sessions at this year's festival is explicitly around this idea. You know, we, one of the questions that you get a lot as an artistic director of a writers festival is oh, all, what, what are your views on cancel culture? You know, uh, who would you de-platform? Would you give a stage to Steve Bannon or Pete Evans or whatever? And if not, why not? Isn't that just censorship? And you hear these refrains a lot. And it seems to me that uh, I mean that opens a thousand cans of worms what I just said but it seems to me that it's not censorship we there's a reason we talk about curating festival programs and it's because you make a choice for how to use your platform and there are a number of questions you ask of yourself when you make that choice is this person hateful or harmful and what they have to say? Is this person coming from a position of lived experience or expertise of knowledge? Does this person have so many platforms elsewhere that all we're doing is regurgitating something else that you can see a thousand other times? Uh, You know, does this person often struggle to be heard, to have a platform? Can we find a way to make our stage a space for perspectives that are otherwise marginalised or not heard? These, to me, are the really interesting questions of curating something like a writers' festival. If I have a session on vaccinations, I am not going to have alongside the scientist an anti-vaxxer just because I believe that there's some false equivalency or value to argument for argument's sake. Hmm. I just don't. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's then an inherently exclusionary chat. You know, knowledge, expertise, know-how are things that um, are sometimes degraded in our society at the moment. And I think audiences don't want that. Audiences want to hear from people who know their staff, and we have a chance to deliver that.
0: From what I'm hearing, it sounds like hope stems a lot from edifying oneself with voices that, like you said, you um, cherry pick the the luminaries, the intelligent people that uh, have something to say. And then the thing that I'm liking, or one of the events I'm particularly looking forward to is the debate that's asking, you know, how good is Australia? And I wanted you to kind of like touch on that a little bit, because is that what you're, you're saying? That's an expansion of what you've, you've touched on there, where the best way in which we can potentially move forward, uh, not just as Australia, as a nation or re- a reading public, but as a society, is to, to bring together the best minds and this sort of forum and then ask kind of the hard questions.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of it, definitely that, um, and I'm, I'm glad you singled out that event. I think it's going to be a cracker. But the other part of it, I would say, is about, I can't think of a less debased word than this, so bear with me, but it's about entertainment, Is about joy. It's about how to take these serious ideas and deliver them in a way that beyond edifying us, is, uh, has a kind of spirit of play and, a you know, an energy to it is what you want. So you want these smart people getting up there. One of the reasons we're doing a debate is that too much of our public discourse runs along kind of false binary lines. You know, Hmm. you're either you're with us or against us. You're a goodie or a baddie. You believe you're on this camp or that camp. And we're not very good at the, at understanding the ways in which people have nuanced responses to things and they don't fall easily into two camps. A debate on a topic like, you know, by allowing Scott Morrison to set the terms of debate with how good is Australia, part of the fun of that is that's not a left-right divide. You know, like the people we have on that stage aren't, you know, adversaries in the culture wars. They're smart, funny, interesting people who Honestly, any of them could argue either side of that debate and produce something very different and very interesting. So what we wanted was the idea of, well, okay, if you're someone who is is frustrated by, Benjamin Law, for example, is on the affirmative side arguing that Australia is good. Ben is one of the first people who would run through the ways in which Australia falls short and public policy is a disaster and people are disenfranchised and all kinds of societal ills. In a way, it's much more interesting to see him having to stand up and say, here's what's good about Australia. Here are the mm-hmm. ways in which I want to defend it. Similarly, on the other side, you know, um, Nakia Louie or David Maher or Annabelle Crabb, to have them get up and say, well, I don't think Australia is good enough. How are they going to construct that? What's their concept of goodness and what are the terms of that? And so if you can take a format as arguably tired and rigid as a debate and find a way to give new energy to it. Um, You know, I hope that that will be full of beautiful, insightful moments, but I also hope that it'll be full of barely contained mayhem and monstrousness um, because that's theatre.
0: I can certainly appreciate the, the... First and foremost, like the way in which you, you argued about, say, Ben Law, for example, having a um, perhaps a different standpoint within his own personal life and views and then challenging himself by then doing that from the complete um, diametric opposite. That in itself obviously going to engender some pretty robust debate. But I like that you also mentioned about this this um, still wanting some sort of entertainment quality and the appreciation. So it's not just all doom and gloom. There is obviously this, this uniting together of, of self and an appreciation. Again, like You've mentioned multiple times the the thing in the the daytime, the book club, hearkening back in the day. That's I feel like the greatest unifier, um, and what you I feel like you've kind of touched on there is an appreciation for reading, a love of reading, this 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 kind of um, age old love of reading that unites us all. And I wanted to know, harkening back to what you've kind of touched on and all that you've accomplished so far, Michael, with, with the festival, what are some of the things, I mean, there's the, the, there's the festival highlights, and I'd like, love for you to tell us a, little, a couple, some of your personal favourites, and that's in itself is a tough question. But what are some of the achievements so far, even pre-launch, that you're really happy about with the festival so far?
1: look one of the one of the things that has made me happiest since tickets went on sale is how vindicated we feel in the decision to focus on australian authors Mm. you know that the fear was well maybe we'll take a hit in in box office um and that's just the price you pay for doing business and far from it you know the the readers and audiences are desperately booking fast for local authors who they wanna hear from. And that's a really nice feeling. One of the things we did because of COVID, we, um, there are a few kind of minor behind the scenes tweaks at the festival. One of them is the times between events have to be longer for COVID cleaning time and stuff, which means that there are fewer events in the festival for us to play around with. Hmm. And so that led to a kind of, we needed a creative solution to that. And one of them was solo spotlights we didn't have enough slots to do as many as we wanted. And so we shifted the model to dual spotlights. Single interviewer, two guests, each talking about their book, you know, 20 minutes focus on each and then a bit of communal chat between them. And that might sound like a boring structural thing, but actually what it's done is meant that the combinations of people really bring it alive, like really make it pop. And from what I'm seeing in the booking patterns for it, what it means is that let's say you've got Chrissy Neen and Rick Morton in the same session, for example. Half the people who are booking are booking because they're Chrissy Neen fans, the other half are booking because they're Rick Morton fans. For those readers, they're going to get into a room and they're going to both get the gratifying thing of seeing an author they already love and the equally gratifying thing of discovering a new voice to go away and kind of embrace. And for me, that kind of exchange, again, it comes out of a kind of necessity thing, but actually it makes for amazing festival programming. So in a similar vein, we have a series in the program called Your Favourites, Favourites. And the way that came about was that we had a whole lot of kind of established Australian writers Mm -hmm. whose work we adore, who we know our audiences adore. We're like, well, we're a spotlight on Australian writers. We really want those voices in the mix, but they don't have a new book to plug. They're not on the publicity trail. They're just, and so whether it's, you know, Christos Cholkis or Michelle de Kretzer or Nam Lee, you know, these writers are beloved by readers, but Um, we're not getting them to talk about the new book. And so we said to them, "Okay, can you each nominate a debut book by an Australian that came out in the past 12 months and champion it for us? Interview the author, introduce readers to someone who you think they should read. And so that series of six events across the festival is just gorgeous because these new writers who might struggle to find an audience are being kind of held up by these writers who have an audience already and are saying, let me share that with you. Let's make that part of what we're doing together. And that's really exciting. Um, The other thing that I would mention is having banged on about how we weren't gonna have endless internationals on screen. um, We've made some exceptions. Um, Like I said, it wasn't a kind of doctrinaire rule that we wouldn't do it at all, but we wanted that to complement the local people we are focusing on. not an afterthought, but certainly not the kind of reason for doing things. Um, but we have, um, you know, amongst those international authors who we have in the mix, uh, people like Kazuo Ishiguro, mm-hmm. Rachel Cusk, um, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson, uh, Judy Bloom, And they're really kind of these terrific writers who have a very specific relationship with their readers, who we just have this kind of opportunity to kind of fold them into the mix. I'm also, I'm looking at your bookshelf behind you because that's what I do when I go into someone's house. I can't help myself. Uh, and I noticed that in the uh, black portion of your bookshelf over your right hand shoulder, um, there's John Uh We're doing a session called, uh, But Not Forgotten, where we, have, um, uh, where we have four different writers, each paying tribute Uh, to a writer who's died in the past 12 months. And so the incredible crime writer, Michael Robotham will pay tribute to John le Carre Michelle de Kretzer will pay tribute to Elizabeth Harrower. Sally Warhaft will uh, pay tribute to Jan Morris, and Kerry O'Brien will pay tribute to Mungo McCallum. And that'll be a great event. You know, again, it's when we hear from writers as readers, when we hear from people not just selling a product but reflecting on their influences, their passions, the things they do. I think we create something really special.
0: I'm in agreement with you, and my. Uh, I'm also. Let me just ex- express my. Uh, being impressed by the fact that you were able to read that, Michael, because I thought the quality of my camera probably isn't too good. But, um, yeah, I'll be definitely attending that event, rest assured. Look, you've kind of dovetailed into my last question that I had for you, which is what what is it that you, you've you mentioned that there, there's these there's, there's dual events where, um, for example, someone might come and they're a fan, they're, a, they're an ardent fan of one particular writer and they might leave as another fan as a fan of that other writer that was featured that they've never, can I hear heard awards. But I wanted to know, what is it that you would like ideally for attendees uh, to leave with the event? What is it you want ingrained in them? Is it this, this kind of thing that we've touched on with the hope or what, is there anything in particular or is there a myriad of things, what, what is it?
1: Look, there are, but I think the thing I would come back to that feels to me like a real through line through the festival is that none of the books we love, none of the writers we admire exist in isolation. Mm. They belong to a tradition that's been writing before them and they're inspiring a whole lot of writers who are right after them. They have writers who are their peers and writers who are their role models and everything in between. And for us as readers, it's a bit the same. You're not a reader in isolation. You are. You might not, know it, but those people on the train with you, that person, um, at school pickup, whatever, might have just read the same book that you loved. might be fascinated by the kind of same obscure idea that you thought you were the only person to discover. And I think, you know, the big, the big challenge in putting together a festival in this um, post-COVID age, and we're not through uh, the full implications of the pandemic yet, but the, the challenge is that for me, the best of a festival is about serendipity and discovery. You know, it's about bumping up against other people and um, and being privy to conversations that we hadn't imagined we cared about. And COVID safety requires a certain rigidity of purpose. Everything is regimented. There's a certain space between things. Um, and so our job is to find a way to create that festival serendipity despite the constraints of COVID. And so what I hope people come away with is discovery is joy is remembering how lucky we are to be within reach of one another again.
0: Perfectly put, perfectly put. Um, I know they will. I know they will. And I know they'll come in droves. And I think that even though it's pre-launch and, you know, I don't know what the equivalent is of not saying, you know, good luck with uh, the Shakespearean kind of old, you know, old, superstition there i know that you're going to do very very well michael and i think you've made an incredible achievement uh herculean achievement and these sort of especially trying and unprecedented time so congratulations well done not just to you but to all the kind of uh manifold team that have done so much and uh, i look forward to attending the event and thank you so much for appearing on the right way program
1: thank you for having me it's been a pleasure to chat
0: excellent thank you So everyone, that was Michael Williams, the festival director for the upcoming Sydney Writers Festival, which is themed within the reach. Uh, So give a big digital round of applause again to Michael Williams for taking time out of his no doubt hectic schedule to talk to me about that. Uh, I'm gonna put the link to the program information for the Sydney Writers Festival in the bio slash description of this episode on SoundCloud and Spotify. So be sure to get looking at that uh, because there's a lot of obviously uh, great lineup, sterling lineup that's coming. So really jump on that to avoid disappointment slash not getting your ticket to whatever respective event tickles your fancy. Uh, Let's give a big, again, digital round of applause to Michael for taking time out of his no doubt hectic schedule to talk to me and yes thank you for listening as always do be sure to continue listening and follow if you haven't already particularly on spotify uh and yes there is always the episodes if you which you haven't listened to that you can do so now they're all available in their entirety ever proliferating entirety i know i do like saying that but it is true and rest assured there will be many many more episodes and really cool guests coming up so stay tuned stay following and bless you